welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Sputnik Radio, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We'll begin with NHK World Radio Japan. Broadcast of NHK World Radio Japan have been suspended in Russia, though they are available on the Internet. The foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine met in Turkey, but failed to make any agreements. The U.S. Congress passed a $13 billion aid package for Ukraine, including $3.5 billion in weapons and $3 billion to deploy U.S. troops to neighboring countries. South Korea elected a more conservative president. The war in Ukraine is threatening the global food supply, especially in war-torn areas like Yemen. NHK Japan Broadcasts of NHK World Japan have been suspended in Russia. The local distributor says the halt comes as Moscow strengthened information control and listed Japan as an unfriendly nation. NHK English programs can still be watched in Russia via its website. The foreign ministers of Ukraine and Russia have held talks in the Turkish city of Antalya two weeks after Russia began its invasion of Ukraine. But the two sides failed to narrow their differences. The Turkish government brokered the meeting Thursday between Dmitry Kuleba and Sergei Lavrov. The talks lasted for about 90 minutes. After the meeting, Kuleba said there was no progress toward a ceasefire. My impression is that Russia is uh, uh, not in a position at this point to establish a ceasefire. They seek uh, a surrender from Ukraine, but this is not what they are going to get. He said both sides spent a lot of time discussing the humanitarian crisis. He added they agreed to seek a solution to the humanitarian issues on the ground. Lavrov warned it's dangerous for countries to provide weapons to Ukraine. Russia does not want a militarized Ukraine. We won't allow Ukraine to target Russia. And we are not going to permit the existence of the neo-Nazi regime in the country. Lavrov repeated Moscow's demand of what it calls demilitarization and a neutral status for Ukraine. Russian President Vladimir Putin wants a legal assurance Ukraine will not join NATO. Now, the U.S. House of Representatives has passed a massive federal spending bill that includes a $13.6 billion military and humanitarian aid package for Ukraine. The package includes $3.5 billion for weapons and other military assistance and $3 billion to deploy more U.S. troops to countries around Ukraine to bolster their defenses. The spending bill is expected to be quickly approved by the Senate before President Joe Biden signs it. 
The latest aid package is nearly 10 times the amount the U.S. has provided to Ukraine since last year. South Korea's next president is promising better ties with neighbors and a firmer hand with North Korea. Yoon Sogil won Wednesday's election by a razor-thin margin, triggering a conservative shift. The People Power Party's Yoon defeated Lee Jae-myon. The political outsider's campaign centered on his harsh critiques of the ruling Democratic Party. Yoon told reporters he'll be tougher on North Korea and make good on his campaign promise to strengthen national defense. The North has launched missiles on nine occasions since the start of the year. He's promising a system capable of deterring any provocation. Key to that plan is the United States. Yoon has already spoken with President Biden to ensure their alliance is ironclad. And as for relations with Japan, Yoon promised to cool down simmering tensions. In the process of building a cooperative relationship, South Korea and Japan need to sit down face to face and get to the bottom of historical issues. And both countries need to work on sorting out and resolving those issues. Yun emphasized the importance of improving future relations with Japan for the betterment of younger generations. Now, Russia's war with Ukraine is threatening the global food supply. Both countries are major suppliers of food commodities like wheat. Prices for wheat have surged to new records as the war disrupts shipments and the planting season. Countries in the Middle East and North Africa are particularly dependent on wheat from Russia and Ukraine. Without it, experts fear widespread hunger. Up to 10 bags of flour per customer. They buy what they can, despite record prices. Unease is spreading in Yemen's capital, Sana'a. Everything is different now because of the war between Ukraine and Russia. We've heard that there will be shortages of flour, so we're preparing for that. The war in Ukraine is causing waves in the Middle East. Millions were already suffering hardship and hunger in Yemen, with many dependent on food aid. But now the price of bread is threatening to explode because a fifth of all wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine. Those supplies could soon disappear. Food prices are also rising in Egypt. Flour has risen by 20% in just a few days, cooking oil by 10%. Ukraine is the world's largest exporter of sunflower oil. Worries are growing in Lebanon too. There, even half of all wheat exports come from Russia and Ukraine. The stocks will only last for about a month. The United Nations fears shortages could trigger a famine. The poorest are the ones who are most affected by this and have no food left to feed their children. Now Ukraine is coming, and this is going to get much, much worse in addition to that. Three years old, weighing four kilos, Malnourished children like Rhonda in Yemen are likely to be hit particularly hard by the war in Europe. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are heard from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 7245 and 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp.
All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Sputnik Radio. On this program called Going Underground, Afshin Ratansi spoke with Medea Benjamin from Code Pink. She discusses how Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine has strengthened NATO and given it purpose after embarrassment in Afghanistan. Her concerns about sanctions against Russia hurting the working people, not just oligarchs. Russia's assault as an illegal invasion of a sovereign country. The U.S. confiscation of $7 billion of Afghan central bank assets and the war in Yemen. Sputnik Radio. Joining me now from Miami, Florida, is Medea Benjamin, the co-founder of grassroots anti-war NGO, Code Pink. You know, you've been campaigning against NATO wars for uh, decades. Do you think Vladimir Putin is actually now united uh, the world behind NATO? Absolutely. We were looking forward to the uh, June meeting in NATO that is happening in Madrid, organizing around it, saying, you know, this is the time to really take the uh, air out of NATO to show that after Afghanistan and the fiasco there, uh, that NATO is really an aggressive military alliance uh, that is looking towards China now and saying that China is a threat and really is, is looking for a purpose. And uh, thanks to Putin, now NATO has its purpose. It's more united than ever. We were criticizing Ashen so much how the U.S. was pushing the NATO countries to fulfill the goal of spending 2% of their gross domestic product on military. And so many of our friends in the NATO countries were fighting that and saying, no, we need that money at home. And suddenly that's all vanished into thin air. And those NATO countries have uh, now announced huge increases in military spending. So this is a huge tragedy for the people of Ukraine uh, and for the entire world. Anybody who thought we might get a peace dividend after Afghanistan has now been uh, all of our hopes dashed thanks to Putin and the aggression on Ukraine. We have in the U.S anti-war movement been pushing the media to cover the war in Yemen, the disastrous war that's been going on for seven years. Uh, in fact, we had a protest outside the headquarters in Washington, D.C. of CNN and saying, what about the Yemen war? We want to see that covered. We want to hear about it. We want to understand why the U.S. continues to supply weapons to Saudi Arabia that are killing children every day uh, in Yemen. Uh, so the media uh, has not been um, very objective about covering wars, um, but I am glad that they are covering this war in Ukraine. People have to see how horrific war is, and maybe they'll understand that all war is horrible. Unfortunately, the U.S. Uh, government, the Biden administration, uh, says that it's going to stop, quote, offensive weapon sales to the Saudis. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. The U.S. is still involved in the war in Yemen. And I want to mention Afghanistan because I'm just heartbroken that after 20 years of 
uh, NATO militarism in Afghanistan with this horrific exit, uh, the Afghan people's money has been stolen by mostly the United States, $7 billion. And that's one of the poorest countries in the world. And so we are working hard to get that money back to the Afghan people. And we're also very concerned about the sanctions on Russia hurting ordinary people, because we've seen that's what sanctions around the world do. They affect the entire economy. Who is impacted the most? It is working people. We've seen for 60 years how the U.S. has imposed horrific sanctions on Cuba. It hasn't changed the Cuban government, but it's caused such hardship for the Cuban people. Ordinary people have no say over their government. Look at the thousands of very brave people who are coming out on the streets in Russia to protest their government's war and say not in our name. Uh, Those people should not be hurt by it. So sanctions are a kind of economic warfare. And unfortunately, uh, they don't hurt the people in power. I think it's fine to go after the oligarchs in Russia, take their yachts, take their mansions, please do. Uh, But don't impose sanctions that are going to uh, make people have a difficult time putting food on their plates or getting medicines. When you see hundreds of thousands of people fleeing, uh, when you see the kind of destruction that's going on, this is not a peace operation. This is an offensive, illegal invasion of another sovereign country. It is absolutely wrong. And I think all peace activists, those of us who stood up against the invasion of Iraq, against the invasion of Afghanistan, those of us uh, who stand up against uh, the U.S. supplying of weapons to dictatorships like Egypt or the Israeli apartheid regime, we have to be consistent and we have to be against this uh, invasion as well. In our actions, we say withdraw the Russian troops. We say ceasefire now. We also say no NATO expansion because we think that's absolutely essential when it comes to the negotiating table. And there are ongoing negotiations and there have to be more. Uh, What is going to be compromised between the two sides? On the U.S.-NATO side, there has to be a compromise that says we will not allow Ukraine to be part of NATO. I wish that there were uh, uh, people now, like in the Biden administration, saying that. Uh, I wish they would be saying we've got to get serious about nuclear weapons and the world should be terrified right now that Russia's nuclear weapons are on high alert. But it should also be a moment where we say, why haven't we forced the world and the world's leaders who have nuclear weapons to comply with their obligations. There now is a nuclear ban treaty at the United Nations. And this should be a moment where we say, we demand as a community of people who do not wanna see our globe annihilated by nuclear weapons, that there be a serious uh, end to nuclear weapons by all the nuclear states. Did you think of Israel voting with the US about how this occupation uh, should be deplored? Well, of course, they always vote with the U.S., but uh, there certainly it is also a moment to talk about the invasion and occupation of other people's lands. We have to look at uh, the Israelis' actions for decades now in Palestine. And it's interesting that so many in the social media are putting out videos that show the tremendous uh, repression and, and beating and explosions uh, in Gaza, in the West Bank and comparing it to what the Russians are doing. Uh, We think this is a time where all aggression should be exposed. And I only hope 
that as we work towards demanding negotiations and a settlement in the case of Ukraine, that we also look at ongoing wars in other places and demand the same thing, an end to war. We find it very hypocritical that there has been so many attacks on uh, the BDS movement in the Western countries, uh, saying that it is not fair to attack the entire country of Israel, that that's anti-Semitic. And then suddenly it's okay to attack people who uh, want to compete in the Special Olympics, as if those people had something to do with Putin's invasion. So there's a lot of hypocrisy on all sides. But let me be clear. I, I think that it is a positive thing that the world community is coming together and saying, stop this invasion, uh, looking at ways that we can through nonviolence. I look at the way that the Russian people came and stopped the tanks from getting into the largest nuclear plant in Europe uh, that's in Ukraine. Uh, that was quite inspirational. And I think it would be wonderful if people in neighboring countries rose up nonviolently and went to the borders around Russia and demanded a, a, an end to the fighting, just as people are reaching out to all of those refugees who so deserve our support. And speaking of refugees, so do all refugees deserve our support, whether they're coming from country where people have uh, white skin and uh, blonde hair or they're coming from countries in Africa, or they're coming from countries on the southern border here in the United States, where they have been ripped apart from their families and at times put in cages. We should welcome all refugees who are fleeing from violence. Someone said, but these are refugees. The, the ones of different colors are migrants. Yes, that's a horrible separation to make. And uh, I think the world has seen the terrible racism from the people uh, of color in Ukraine that have had such a hard time leaving the country. Uh, but I think it also does show the hypocrisy of making it so difficult for people of color who try to flee. Even in the case of Afghanistan, where you would think that the U.S. and all the NATO countries would feel a tremendous obligation uh, to take people from Afghanistan in the immediate aftermath of the withdrawal, uh, they said they were going to, but then they've gone back on their promises and it's become very difficult for uh, Afghans who worked with the NATO forces to even leave the country. Madea Benjamin, thank you. That excerpted interview was by Afshin Ratansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia, available online at rt.com and on YouTube. Search for Going Underground, and you could listen to the entire 15-minute interview with Medea Benjamin from Code Pink. Once more, I listened to more than 15 hours of international broadcasting to create this show and was very disappointed to find wall-to-wall -wall war coverage not dissimilar to what is on American media. And the censoring of NHK World Radio Japan and Russia is not helpful. In fact, another brick in the wall of international distrust. The BBC restarted some shortwave broadcast to Ukraine, despite knowing how simple it is to jam radio frequencies. Just broadcast a stronger signal on the same frequency in the area you want to block. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report, or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached to the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, 
Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet, like listeners in Calumet, Michigan, and St. Leo University Radio in Dade City, Florida, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. President Maduro of Venezuela met with U.S. representatives over the weekend to talk about oil supplies. President-elect Boric of Chile promised to work for truth, justice, and reparations over the Pinochet years. Lula da Silva is suing those who accused him of corruption now that all charges against him have been annulled. China has warned the U.S. against creating an Asian NATO. Tony Blair has admitted that he may have been wrong about his decision to invade Iraq. Radio Havana, Cuba. Nicolás Maduro, president of Venezuela, has confirmed in the framework of a meeting with the political and military high command that he had held a, quote, respectful and cordial meeting with a delegation of the U.S. government representing his counterpart, Joe Biden. The Venezuelan president said in his announcement, broadcast on radio and television, that he met with a delegation from the United States government last Saturday. He added, quote, it was a diplomatic meeting and we spent almost two hours talking. I was accompanied by Jorge Rodriguez, the President of the National Assembly, and by Celia Flores. We have agreed to work on an agenda to go forward. It's very important to talk face-to-face about issues of interest to Venezuela and the world. Relating the details of the meeting with the U.S. representatives, President Maduro ratified Caracas's willingness to move forward with diplomacy and respect in an agenda that guarantees peace and security for the peoples of the region. He confirmed that, quote, conversations, coordination, and a positive agenda between the government of the United States and the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela will continue. The Venezuelan president also announced the re-establishment of a dialogue with all socio-political sectors for the economic recovery and stability of that South American country. Quote, we have decided to reactivate the national dialogue process with all political, economic, religious factors of the country. We're going to reformat the process, making it broader and more inclusive. Gabriel Boric, the president-elect of Chile, has welcomed a report that repudiates crimes from the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet. The future president wrote on his Twitter account, quote, The army's recognition and condemnation of its institutional responsibility in human rights violations during the dictatorship is valuable for Chile. It's an historic step to advance in truth. We will continue working for justice and reparations so that those days will never happen again. Maya Fernandez, the next Chilean Minister of Defense, indicated that, quote, the wounds of the dictatorship will not close without truth, justice, and reparation. The recognition of human rights violations is a necessary act to heal the soul of Chile and to be able at last to look ahead to the future. Among the repressive acts condemned by the report was the so-called caravan of death that toured the country during the dictatorship had killed and saw opponents disappear and it called, quote, one of the most condemnable episodes of the military dictatorship. The report is signed by retired General Ricardo Martinez, who resigned as Commander-in-Chief of the Army and who repudiates recorded actions committed by the military during the dictatorship.
Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, the leader of Brazil's Workers' Party, the PT, together with his team of lawyers, plans to sue those who once accused him of alleged crimes after emerging victorious from 25 complaints, inquiries and lawsuits. According to Gleisai Hoffman, PT president, quote, Today, they, the accusers, are the ones who have to explain the abuses, corruptions, crimes and illegalities that they committed against Brazil, the people and democracy. According to local media, former President Lula da Silva will file several lawsuits against those who took legal action against him, amongst them Deltan Dalagno, the former prosecution of Lava Yato. The first of the lawsuits in the Superior Court of Justice may start as early as this week. Lula will also request compensation for moral damages in the action against Dalagnol, accusing the former attorney for abuse of power in the Lava Hato case. The former Brazilian president holds that the accusations against him were based on false evidence gathered by an operation of judicial persecution. China has warned the United States against trying to build a Pacific version of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, and has urged Washington to stop its interference in Chinese Tapai or Taiwan. Public reported that Wang Qi, China's foreign minister, claimed on Monday that, quote, the real goal of the United States in the Indo-Pacific was to establish a NATO-like military alliance there. The perverse actions run counter to the common aspirations of the region for peace, development, cooperation and win-win outcomes. They are doomed to fail. Bloomberg continued that China has maintained that the United States has been attempting to suppress its growth via bloc coalitions and meddling in Chinese affairs. And Wang also made some of China's most direct comments against the unending U.S. interference in Taiwan. China has sovereignty over Chinese Taipei, and under the One China policy, almost all world countries recognize that sovereignty. The U.S. too recognizes Chinese sovereignty over the island, but has long courted Taipei in an attempt to unnerve Beijing. The United States, which backs Taipei's secessionist president, also continues to sell weapons to the island in defiance of Beijing and in violation of its own official policy. Relations between the U.S. and China have grown tense in recent years, with the world's two largest economies clashing over a range of issues, including trade, Chinese Taipei, Hong Kong, military activities in the South China Sea, and the origins of the new coronavirus. Former British Prime Minister Tony Blair has admitted that he, quote, may have been wrong about the decision to invade Afghanistan and Iraq. Speaking on BBC Radio 4's The Archbishop Interviews series, Blair defended his decision to intervene in the Middle East alongside former U.S. President George Bush. Defending a position that many consider indefensible, the former Prime Minister said, quote, People often say that I took the wrong decision on Afghanistan and on Iraq, but you've got to do what you think is right. Blair added, quote, Whether you are right or not is another matter. In these really big decisions, you don't know what all the different component elements are, and in the end, you've got to follow your own instincts. Despite his controversial decision in ordering British troop deployments in foreign wars, Blair was appointed a knight companion of the most noble order of the Garter, the oldest and most senior British order of chivalry, by the country's Queen Elizabeth II. An online petition to strip him of his knighthood gathered more than one million signatures. The petition said, quote, Blair 
caused irreparable damage to both the Constitution of the United Kingdom and the very fabric of the nation's society. The petition noted, quote, he was personally responsible for causing the death of countless innocent civilians and servicemen in various conflicts. It further read, for this alone, he should be held accountable for war crimes. Tony Blair is the least deserving person of any public honor. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, though the podcasts have not been updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's out. Farpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which will complete its 25th year of production in April, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. This shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.